Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the In Context and Culture podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us once again. Hey, we've been doing video podcasts now for at least four or five weeks. So thank you for either watching this uh, on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, or even listening to this, of course, on all the different podcasting apps. We're so glad that you are following along during this study. I know I've learned a lot just walking through it with Corey. Um, maybe uh, he's learned something from me, but I doubt it. So thank you so much for walking through the podcast with us. Hey, Corey, how's your week going? Uh, it's going really, really well. It's been really fast. Uh but I think that's the preacher thing. You're supposed to say that, right? It, everything's always good. Um, and so like, I'm sure there's been some things through the week that have been tough, but uh, you know, that's the good church answer for you is that everything's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how about you? It's good, man. Well, it's been an interesting week, but it's good. Um, we're starting uh, um, college ministry next week. Uh, so that's to say that we haven't stopped college ministry, obviously. Um, during the Christmas break and summer break while college students are back home, um, we take a break from our worship nights throughout the week, uh, but they will start back this upcoming Wednesday night. And we've actually changed from hosting our college worship nights, which is actually a young adult worship nights called The Collective, uh, from Tuesday nights now to Wednesday nights. So I'll actually have student ministry for an hour and a half and then an hour break and then college ministry for an hour and a half, which sounds kind of crazy, but truthfully, it'll be I think it'd be really healthy actually for our ministry and for, uh, for me because um, college students on Tuesday nights would stay up to like 1130 at night. And I wouldn't get home till at least midnight on Tuesday nights. And then I have to teach the next night. And if I teach back to back with both of my, you know, um, things prepared, like I, I can shift in that hour pretty quick, I think, and have actually a whole night back for my week. So I'm actually pretty excited about that. Um, it's new. It will help out in many ways. Some students have classes on Tuesday nights um, and, because our school UT uh, offers a lot of night classes on Tuesday nights and really none on Wednesday nights, hardly. Um, that'll help our students be in college, uh, our college ministry students be involved in student ministry and kids ministry without coming two nights in a row to church. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, there's a few other things that it'll help with, but I'm really excited about that. So that's my long I do answer. Like how that, uh, I do like how the name of your college ministry is relevantly ambiguous. Uh, the Collective. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I am a huge fan of alliteration, right? Um, probably to my detriment. <laughs> so we have uh, the collective core group, which that's what our church calls Sunday school core groups. Um, and then we have community groups. So we have three C's or so three offerings and community groups are like prayer gatherings in different parts of the city where a lot of these young adults live. And then they come together as a collective group of community groups. So the collective, that's why it's called that. So nice. Yeah, so it they, does mean something. It's not just like, you know, it, taking it's not off just, like, you know. Yeah, it's not just like, or something. as we joked, relevant church, where church has never been more relevant. Um, it, you know, uh, it is a unique, uh, well, it's not actually probably a unique name. I'm sure there's a lot of like cool college ministries using that name. But um, we were just calling it Worship Nights, and it was two words, and it was, um, you know, easier to say in one word, and we called it the collective, so. You can, make, you can make fun of the name all you want. I know you're not doing that, but... Hey, it's Anyways. better because, you know, the Worship Nights, the Worship Night in America by Chris Tomlin. But, That's a long anyway. title. Yeah. yeah so what do you do? Them, what do you do on like the URL? Do you like literally tap to type in www.worshipnightamericabychristomlin.com? I don't know. And I don't even know what the acronym would be for that. It would still be like 24 letters long or something. I don't know. 
All right. I know we're not getting to the subject of our um, topic yet, but uh, uh, we, you know, I was a runner in high school, obviously, you know, this and, um, and like shortening phrases and making hashtags was like a really popular thing um, back in like high school when like that was for the first time a thing, like hashtags were a thing. Right. And so you would see, um, you know, like winter jam be like WJ, you know, 2015 or something like that was the hashtag of it. And so our cross country coach, who was like 67 years old at the time made t-shirts with hashtag, get this. Um, let me think of it. Uh, J J B D W R C. Uh, what would it would have been? Uh, two zero eleven. It was like JBDW JBDWRC two zero one one, and it was like, yeah, no one's gonna put that on a hashtag, you know. So uh, I don't know how we got off on this subject, but uh, so we've been studying the Book of Revelation in season two of our podcast, right? And uh, we are in the section where seven churches are addressed. Um, of course, John the uh, Apostle is the writer of the book of Revelation. He's also written the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Uh, some may debate those truths, but we think that he wrote all of those. And John is writing Exile on the Island of Patmos to seven uh, geographical, real churches of his day, um, some of which were more faithful, some of which were um, really struggling, compromising with the culture. And so these letters are practical. Um, and they're personal as God writes to them messages they need to heed and hear so they might be conquerors, might be faithful witnesses. So we're at the letter um, to Sardis. Uh, is that the fourth church? Am I wrong? Is that the fourth church? We've got Ephesus, Smyrna, um, Pergamum, Thyatira, fifth church, Sardis. So Revelation chapter three, verses one through, um, and it ends, if I remember correctly, verse six. So we're going to read that out loud. We're going to make some comments about it. We hope you follow along. Thanks for listening to the podcast. All right. I am uh, reading out of the English Standard Version, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. As we get started, so, I think it would be, I think it'd be good just for us to just remind everybody the pattern of what these letters look like. Right. And I'll be mm -hmm. very brief with this, right. Each letter to the seven churches um, is addressing specific problems uh, giving specific commendations and uh, commands for the churches to be faithful. So it really follows like a five um, part uh, uh, 
process of this letter really starts with a characterization of Christ, then a commendation if the church is doing something well or being faithful in specific areas. Um, Some churches are better in the way that they love one another. Some churches are more faithful in the way that they hold fast to doctrine. So that's a commendation. Then a critique. Hey, what is the church struggling with at this time? What do they need to repent of? Um, So after that critique is uh, brought a command of God to either repent or to pursue the works that they had done at first or to rid themselves of poor teaching. And then lastly, uh, there's a call to conquer, to remain faithful uh, so that you might um, uh, be forever joined with the Lord. Um, uh, uh, and that's the promise that's reserved to those that trust in Christ and continue following him. So yeah, why don't we just start? Um, I think you were going to bring it up. Why don't we just start with what, how, how does this passage to Sardis um, talk about Christ? Do you want to start with that? Well, it talks about Christ as having the seven spirits mm-hmm. of God and the seven stars. And so, um, you know, we've talked multiple times about the seven spirits of God being the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to rehash that, but um, he has the seven or he has the Holy Spirit. Um, he, his ministry was anointed uh, with the Holy Spirit uh, at his baptism. Uh, he went out in the power of the spirit and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And here we find that he has um, that these are the words of him who has the seven spirits. So the, this is the this is the Holy Spirit, and, and we have to remember the condition of the church that we find here. And I, I don't want to get too far ahead here, but like this is a dead church. Um, this is one who uh, has this reputation for being alive, but it is dead. And so the very thing that the church needs, Christ addresses in his, in his um, description of himself is that he has the seven spirits, the Holy Spirit. They will, he will be the one that will quicken the church. He will be the one to awaken them uh, from their slumber. And so he gives this somber warning to a slumbering church here. And so he has the seven spirits and he has the seven stars. And so um, maybe you've done a little bit of research on, the, on why he addresses that issue of, of having the seven stars. No. <laughs> um, no, I think what you said was great. Um, so, uh, yeah, do you want to make any comments to that? Well, I mean, you know, he, he addresses those um, seven stars as the angel of seven churches. And so, like, you know, there's this idea that the, the angels are there representing representing God to the church, also representing the church back to God in the heavenly court. And so he's, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is really kind of what he's getting at, but it's the idea of, uh, again, that he knows their condition. Uh, He's not unaware because he definitely uh, has this, this angel that is there present with the, with the churches all the time. And of course he walks among the lampstands. So he knows where they're at too. Um, So I, I, I would think that's kind of what he's talking about there. Yeah. No, I think that's really good because, um, you know, while the church and we're going to address this soon, while the church's reputation before the world is one thing, um, their representation of Christ truly is another thing. And the way that Christ sees them is different than the way that the world sees them. The world sees them as a thriving, profitable, um, uh, uh, 
even maybe Christ-centered church. I mean, that might be a stretch, but um, Christ knows their heart, knows their true status, and it's one that is, in his words, dead um, uh, as far as um, uh, just their reputation. So let's go ahead and read on uh, to the critique of this church. Uh, And uh, like you said, we're going to have to skip past some things. So as far as the seven spirits, if you're still confused on that, it'd be a good idea to maybe look back at uh, Revelation chapter one, where it's first mentioned, it's mentioned again in Revelation four, again in Revelation five and Revelation five, it's mentioned as seven eyes from the lamb. And then it's uh, taken, uh, if you want to, a lot of the uh, writing in Revelation is taken from the Old Testament, it's taken from Zechariah four. Um, and seven, of course, is a number for completion and fullness. And um, so, I, you know, there's plenty of resources you can look up to look more about why seven spirits of God. The critique. Here's what it says. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. So it seems like every time that the critique is mentioned, um, uh, it begins with something like, I know, I see what others don't see, right? I'm present with you. I walk among the lampstands. You can't hide um, both the things that you do well from me, um, and you cannot hide the things that you um, uh, are bankrupt in. Or, or the things that you are disobedient and doing um, from the Lord. So um, what's the implication? And you have the reputation of being alive. Well, the implication is they're not truly alive, right? It goes on to obviously say, say in that same sentence in verse one, but you're dead, right? So this church in some way or another has made a name for itself and yet has failed in making uh, famous the name of God or lifting high the name of God, right? In, uh, 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 in a way, they have sought the glory of themselves at the expense of seeking after the glory of God. And God sees that and knows that and is not impressed, though they may impress people in the world, right? So I'll just go on a little bit further if I can. Let's make comments on this. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Now, here's his command. Let's stop before we get too far in the command. But uh, what just should be mentioned here is he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. But he also says, hey, wake up because you're about to die. So there's, they're dead, but they're also about to die. Can you, can you kind of help walk us through um, what we think is implied there? I mean, we talked about it before the podcast started, right? Uh, there's still hope for this church, I think, is what's important here. And what that looks like is, hey, their reputation is, um, uh, or their relationship with the Lord as far as what is true um, that the Lord sees um, it is false, right? Like what the world sees of this church is not what God sees. It's it, it completely contradictory, right? They see it as a church that's alive. It's not alive, right? And so God's warning is you better wake up or you will die, right? Um, yeah. Any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think I want to back up for just a second. Yeah. Because I think whenever, whenever you have a church that has a reputation for being alive, but they are dead, they don't know that. Like they're, they're not describing themselves as dead, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they think they're okay. And I think that's one of the things that's important here is that whenever he says, I know your works, like he's revealing this, it's a revelation to the church that, hey, you've got a condition here that you're not even aware of. Um, you, you think you're alive along with everybody else. 
And so in that, he, he is saying that, that they need to wake up and strengthen what is about to die, that they've been lulled to sleep um, by whatever that they have used to make a name for themselves. And so in that sleep, they, they're completely unaware um, that they've got to open up their eyes to what's going on around them. Um, because if they don't, they're going to die. And so, you know, that, that may seem strange, but as you and I talked even before we got on here about first, first Thessalonians five, like it does hearken back to that. And I'll just read that verse or one of the verses real quick. It says, keep awake and be sober and do not sleep as others do for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. And so, you know, he has to, he has to awaken them to, to this understanding that they're not fully committed to Christ. Um, that they're really fully committed to themselves and making a name for themselves rather than making a name for him. So there's been so. churches in the past that are really strong in their doctrine, but they're like a holy frozen chosen, holy huddle kind of church. They've, they've, they've kept others out as far as invading doctrinal teaching, but they have not been a proper witness in their love for one another and their love, mm-hmm. even for uh, unbelievers. That'd be like Ephesus. And then there's Thyatira. That's like, we love everybody, uh, including you and so much, uh, um, uh, uh, love and letting their own guard down, uh, in properly guarding the, the, the table almost right. Um, and properly guarding the teaching, uh, that false teaching has come in and, um, has really kind of spurned people away from what is true and good. And what's so interesting about this church is there's not really mentioned, Hey, your doctrine is poor. Hey, you're, um, uh, you know, you're not loving well, it's really vague in what's mentioned. In fact, it's almost ambiguous in what the problem is. Uh, the only thing that's not ambiguous is, how dire the situation is like you're like you're dead right and so um, this church might be the best picture of what is often referred to as nominal christianity right as you mentioned uh christian or church in name only right that does not mean that there's not genuine christians there but as far as the church witness goes their focus wholly W-H-O-L-L-Y has not been on the Lord, but on themselves, right? I mean, to think of like this church today, like their focus is on branding and entertainment value and um, and uh, um, uh, not only maybe branding, but platforming certain people. And so that people have a certain idea what this church is about and um, so much so that they miss what the church even is anymore, right? So, um uh, it, it might be just said here, hey, hey, you might have fooled the world in thinking that um, you are genuine, but you haven't fooled God, right? Um, even churches that have a great reputation in their own communities um, can't fool God if their focus is first, not first and foremost upon the Lord, right? But is rather upon metrics and how many people they can get in there and how many albums they're producing and how, you know, much followers they have on social media and how much, how much hype they have when people gather, right? Those kinds of things, right? So they have, in essence, worked so hard for their own name and so little for the Lord's name. And I just want to mention, before we get back to that first Thessalonians 5 passage, um, like this is in many cases 
um, the picture, nominal Christianity of the church in America, right? Um, At least of many churches in America. I'm not saying that there's not good faithful churches in America. We're blessed to serve the churches that we serve in, right? Um, But um, because persecution is not hit so heavy, so often some of our focus gets onto, okay, how can I make my church and market my church to um, uh, uh, have a reputation that Anybody and everybody at all times, at all places will enjoy being here, right? And hey, let's take a picture of every great thing we do all the time so that people see how great we are, right? Um, Isn't this just the same problem at the Tower of Babel, which basically said, hey, let's make a name for ourselves. I mean, but, but look at like what we could do for God if people knew our name. And what did the Lord do? He scattered them, right? He confused their language. And then he picks Abram, this random pagan. And he's like, no, I'll make your name great, right? And throughout the rest of the course of the biblical storyline, God is acting with this like remote, interesting group of people, fewest of all number, Deuteronomy 7, 7, called Israel um, for the sake of his own name. Like they're the fewest of all people, right? And yet the Lord um, uh, chooses them to make his name great, uh, withholds his wrath against them to make his name great. Um, He banishes Nebuchadnezzar, who he actually sent in to take over Israel so that Nebuchadnezzar would realize that God is the most high, right? He saves people even today in the new covenant um, for the glory of his own name, Ephesians chapter one. And so when anybody is acting for the sake of their own name, it is the picture of the epitome of pride because they're working for themselves and AKA working against the Lord. And this is why the church is dead because they're about themselves and not God. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I know I talked a long time there, but First Thessalonians 5, what came to both of our mind, you had it in your notes and I had it in mine because, um, you know, this could either talk, be talking about just a, you know, when we talk about the coming of the Lord, that doesn't always necessarily mean Christ's um, future coming. Sometimes it could be coming in judgment, even in history, right, against Sardis. But regardless, when it's talking about God's future coming in First Thessalonians 4 and First Thessalonians 5, you have two really kind of groups of people in that passage. In, in that section of scripture in first Thessalonians four, the return of God will be glorious for those that have died in the faith and those that are still alive that are faithful, because that'll mean the resurrection of their bodies. But in first Thessalonians five, it says, um, Hey, you keep watch. Um, you keep on guard. You stay faithful because the Lord will return like a thief in the night. Same phrasing that's used in this passage, right? And it says, stay alert because there will be some that do not anticipate the return of the Lord. They're sleeping, right? They're in darkness. They're not prepared for the return of the Lord. And in, because they're not prepared, they'll be wailing when he returns. Um, mm-hmm. It says like a, a, a pregnant woman wails with, with pain, right? And they won't escape. So he says, basically, to this church that's sleeping, you need to wake up. Because the return of the Lord or the judgment that's to come will not be pleasing if you're sleeping. Yeah. And, you know, whenever whenever a church is like this, and I think we have to remember, too, mm-hmm. that, it, you know, before we get super harsh on Sardis, like you said, sure. like this is probably the picture of the American church. And it's real easy to fall into that. Like even as church leaders, um, it would be hard, it would be hard for you and I not to fall into that because our consumeristic culture says that's what we want Mm. right and so like there's this tendency even in church leadership to say all right we got to have all the bells and whistles and we've we've got to do all of these things and if we're not careful we let that become the focus 
rather than the most important thing, which is the gospel. And I, I think mm. whenever a church tries to make a name for themselves, they've forgotten the gospel. Mm. Um, you know, they, they, uh, let me go, let me turn back over here. Strengthen what remains. And then in verse three, it says, remember then what you received and heard. Like they received and heard the gospel. And so they've tried to make a name for themselves, not realizing that whenever they do that, they're acting and living completely contrary to the gospel message. Because the gospel mm. is not about who I am. The gospel yeah. is about who Jesus is. And, and, you know, the, the churches, the churches that would, that would seek to make a name for themselves, they don't, they don't set out to forget the gospel. Mm. Like they don't, they're not, they're not saying, man, um, let's do all of these things and forget about Jesus. Like their intention going in is we're going to do these things to make much of Jesus, but somewhere it gets turned around and they begin to make a name for themselves rather than him. And so like one of the remedies here is for them to remember the gospel. And so they have to repent uh, they, have, they have to keep the gospel. They have to continually preach the gospel to themselves. And I think that is something we fail to do in the church far too often. Like we preach the gospel so that others might be saved. And we talk about the gospel. I mean, probably if you went uh, on Amazon or Christian book, like and just put in the word gospel. I mean, there would be hundreds and thousands of books pop. And so like we talk a lot about the gospel, but we don't often teach the gospel to ourselves whenever we're saved. And we have to continually remind ourselves of the gospel that it's all about him and not about us. Um, Because if not, we let the gospel become man-centered rather than God-centered. And really the gospel is God-centered. If it's nothing else, it's God-centered. And so, um, you know, that's, that's one of the remedies here for this church is to remember the gospel. Yeah, I'm just thinking both of us just recently taught First Corinthians. And man, don't you see this exact thing in First Corinthians? And what I mean by that is the first chapter. Um, they might not be platforming themselves and thinking of their own name. Uh, at first, what they're doing and struggling with pride, the church at Corinth is, hey, uh, I know Apollos. I follow him. Yeah. Like he's a great speaker. Have you not heard Apollos? And then I follow Paul. Dude's been like whipped like a bunch, right? I mean, he's strong when Apollos is, right? And then others are like even more probably like, I follow Jesus, <laughs> right? Uh, all the while, uh, uh, you know, Paul is basically reminding like, I just came and preached the gospel and just basically said Christ and Christ crucified and you were saved, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And so you shouldn't put your stock in me. I'm glad I didn't baptize you. So more of you don't put your stock in me. I'm just a man, is what he says. And then before you get too far of yourself by thinking that I'm just a man and so you're better, he basically says, remember your calling. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were noble. Not many of you were great. And so you're like, oh man, Paul, I stink. And he's like, that's the point. But God chose you so that you can't boast in your own name, but in the name of the Lord, right? So far be it from us to think in any way, shape, or form, as you mentioned, that the gospel has anything to do with we deserved anything, uh, we um, earned anything, or we uh, um, are owed anything. Rather, God Mm -hmm. in his infinite mercy looked upon sinful men and women like yourself and myself and our churches and said, I'm dying for you. 
And I'm doing so for the sake of my name so that you will know me and be in relationship with me, glorify my name. And people might even look at you and be like, I cannot believe God saved him. Right. And they won't marvel at how awesome you are. They'll marvel at how gracious God was. Right. Mm. Um, So uh, this is a reminder. We need to remind ourselves. And this is why the church exists to gather together, to encourage one another all the more until the day of the Lord draws near. And so um, one thing that we need to do, I think, in response to this, not only repent of maybe some personal pride that we've pursued in our own selves, as it tells us to repent as churches that maybe sought our own name, but maybe, hey, we all walk through, as you mentioned, before we can be too hard against people or churches, uh, you know, or even um, like we're not in this category. We all walk through seasons like this. And so part of gathering as a church is just reminding ourselves, hey, God is good and he saved you and he saved me, not because of me or you, but because of himself. Yeah. Man, leave it, leave it to Paul to just like knock somebody off their high horse, right? Like yeah. just, he's a pride killer, you know? And yeah, uh, yeah. That's, he, I mean, that's awesome. They're like, and, uh, man, Paul. And he's like, I just just said Christ died for you and you got saved. And they're like, well, man, us. And he's like, nah, you weren't that great either. <laughs> right? Like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so isn't that so like different from what we hear today? I mean, you're worthy. You're awesome. You can do it. You're enough. Right. And Paul's basically like, you're not. Jesus was trust him. And not only did he mm-hmm. tell them that the, the beginning so that they might be saved, but continually so that they would not put stock in their own name. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we, uh, I think if we would preach the gospel more to ourselves, uh, our churches would probably be a whole lot more healthy. Do you think? And I think I know we keep going on this, but this is really the whole point of Sardis, right? Do you think motivational preaching um, that um, sometimes sacrifices the gospel for a pep talk really just makes nominal Christianity? Like, is it the sole, not the sole contributing factor, but one of the biggest? Um, manufacturers of nominal Christianity of a, a yeah, sort of both you can do this gospel right because the the focus then becomes yourself mm-hmm. and that's not just individualistic that's corporate right yeah and so our eyes are off of Jesus and really hey you can do this hey you can do this hey you can do this and what am I trying to do well I'm trying to basically be a better person and what are you trying to do when you're becoming a better person and you're focused on yourself well you're trying to make a name for yourself mm-hmm yeah, and ultimately, I know nobody would say this, and I don't think any preacher that would that is even propagating what you're talking about would say this. But ultimately, it gets back to I'm trying to save myself uh, because if because if I can do better and I can do this, like I'm the answer for me, and uh, you know, you know, just like uh, I, I can remember my parents um, whenever they. My mom, uh, probably back in the late seventies, early eighties, there's this group that came to our church and I can't remember the name, but they had this song called my tribute. And if I started singing the words, you would, um, you would, uh, you would probably recognize it, even though it's like probably, you know, 15 years before you were born, but, um, it was, Jesus is the answer for the world today above him. There's no other Jesus is the way. Um, and, but you know, like, he's more than the answer for the world. Like he's the answer for the church. And, and we, we can't, we can't ever get past him. And, 
we don't want to get past him. We don't want to get past the gospel. We want to get deeper into it. And so um, we, we can't preach a gospel or of self-help. We can't preach a gospel that says, I, I, I just need to, uh, I just need to do this and you're good enough. And, you know, it's, it's the Al Franken, uh, you're good enough and doggone it. People like you kind of gospel. And we have to be careful uh, not to do that. So I think one thing that we just need to remind ourselves of in talking about the gospel and talking rightly about our own selves, because as you mentioned, I think you so wisely said, people don't set out to make a name for themselves if they've just been saved by the Lord, genuinely been saved by the Lord, genuinely been saved by the Lord, right? I mean, obviously someone could be saved by the Lord um, and not really saved, right? But walk the aisle because they want to be a famous gospel preacher they just saw on stage and they want to be like him and make a lot of money, right? Um, but if someone's genuinely said by the Lord, this is a slow process of forgetting the fact that you were destitute, depraved, and uh, dependent upon having a Savior step in your place. And, and if, if I can speak a word to our listeners that I need to hear, um, God does not depend on your name. He de- demands and desires your obedience, hmm. right? He's not... Uh, waiting for your success so that he can accomplish the glory of his own name. He desires your faithfulness and he will be glorified in your faithfulness rather than you chasing after a name for yourself. Right? So God does not need your name. He needs your faithfulness. And I don't mean need as in he needs it to accomplish his purposes. He needs it as in he demands it. Right? So I, I think this is a slow step of, Hey, if I did, if I could get here, um, God would have more. And it's like, no, you, you need to focus on faithfulness, right? Mm-hmm. Not on famousness, right? Um, so uh, I, just a constant reminder, right? Um, and, and that is, in fact, what he says here. Because not only remember what you receive, but keep it. You know, like that's the idea of uh, the faith is supposed to lead to obedience. Um, and so we always have to remind ourselves of that. Why don't, why don't we move on to uh, to the next section here? Yeah, I think um, we can probably. Well, do, or you do you think want to we talk can, more about the thief? Well, I think we can probably just go all the way to the end here and just kind of give a summary because we've been giving, I mean, a pretty broad summary of the whole issue at Sardis, right? And even the solution yeah. of the mm-hmm. repentance. So um, They've soiled their garments, right? Um, if he doesn't wake up, I'll come out like a thief. This is exactly what we see in First Thessalonians 5. So we can recommend people to go look at First Thessalonians 5. You, you don't want to be unaware of the fact that Christ is going to return and sin and living in it makes you unaware, right? It makes you sleepy. Um, it makes you forget, mm-hmm. right? It keeps your eyes off of what is true and necessary um, to know. And that is the Lord will soon one day return. Right. So, I mean, even in the all of that discourse, the main command in the all that discourse, I would argue is keep watch. Keep watch. Yeah. Right. So um, uh, yet you still have a few names in Sardis. So there were people that were faithful and he's basically putting them up as models and say, hey, hey follow them as you follow Christ. Right. Um, the one who conquers will be put in white garments, will be pure um, that they're um, uh, they will not be impure right? Like they currently are, but will be made pure and their name will not be blotted out of the, the, the book of life, right? Um, uh, you mentioned, and I think let's just talk a brief word about assurance and then let's end here. 
Is that okay? Okay. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about assurance here about the book of life? Sure. Um, I mean, we're talking about this here in, in it's interesting. There's a, there's a play on words here. And I mentioned this earlier, but in the beginning, he says you have a reputation. Well, the, the word that is translated reputation, in the beginning, it can also be uh, translated name. And so again, we're, we're talking about people who are making a name for themselves rather than making a name for God. But he comes back and says, you still have, yet you still have, or you still, man, I can't talk. You, you're good. Yet you have still a few names, man, goodness. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's not the way we talk. So there's intentionality there of why he says that you normally you would say you still have a few people, not a few names. Um, but there are a few names here and, and God knows their names. And I think that's important. And, and he says, in that knowledge of their names who have not soiled their garments, that they walk with him in white for they are worthy. And they're going to be clothed in, and their name will not be blotted out of the book of life. Now, a lot of people will look at that and say, if those people will never have their name blotted out of the book of life, that means that some people can but that is not what he, you know, we, we get, we go from to these extremes. Well, if it's not this, it has to be this, but that's not what John is saying here. It's because they have, they have been found worthy that they have not soiled their garments and that they walk with him in white, that they have the assurance that their name is never going to be blotted out. Um, again, we, we sometimes want to say, well, if, if their name's not going to be, if he, if he says that their name's not going to be blotted out, there's a possibility that others could. And that's not what he's getting at. He's giving them assurance that because they're remaining faithful, that they will not have their names blotted out. And that's the evidence that their names will not be blotted out. So what, yeah. what would you like to add to that? Yeah, I would just say in conclusion, um, if you're looking for, hey, my friend uh, uh, confessed Christ at a certain age and then has... Um, like walked away from the faith or how do I know that I'm saved? How can I have assurance? The Bible gives us answers for that. One of the things that I want to provide for my students and for our people at our church is, Hey, if someone's struggling with a particular thing, what book of the Bible should you recommend them? Right. How does the old Testament connect to the new Romans, Hebrews, uh, how does the sacrificial system uh, point to Christ Hebrews? Um, uh, you know, um, if I'm a new believer, uh, where do I see that Jesus clearly states that he is, God himself, the book of John, right? How do I um, remind myself that God loves people um, that are far from him, the book of Luke, right? Um, but first John talks all about assurance. And there are three things John consistently says about Christian assurance. So how do I know that I am saved? How do I know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Well, right here, it basically says, um, right. I will not blot his name out. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. And so, um, since he's talking about assurance and we look across the Bible, there are three things John mentions. I've already said that the first is this ongoing belief in Christ, continual profession that Christ Jesus is Lord. I mean, you see that in multiple passages of scripture outside of first John, but in first John, that's one of three categories. Um, Colossians chapter one, uh, verse 21, I think basically says, um, for if you, uh, um, 
if you hold fast to the profession of faith, not wavering, right? Um, like you can know that you're saved, right? This one evidence of your relationship with the Lord is your ongoing profession that Jesus is Lord, right? The second category in First John is obedience, right? Not as a way to earn salvation, but as an indicator of salvation that exists, right? Um, Hebrews 12, 20, uh, or uh, what is it? Hebrews the 14, 12, 14 talks about pursue peace and holiness without which you won't see God. Right. Um, and so pursuing holiness is necessary in the life of a believer as is evidence of being a believer. And then third and, and last is love your love for um, first and foremost, your brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, but then even uh, your love um, for those that don't know Christ as evidenced in your sharing the gospel. So um, ongoing faith persistent obedience, even if there's seasons of difficulty um, with particular sins and in love, right? Your genuine love for um, others, right? So that you're like Christ and not like Cain, right? That's first John three. So um, there are places in which we see that, yes, we can know that we're saved. God is not a God of confusion. He wants us to know we're his. That's a beautiful thing. And that's what he provides for those that conquer your names in the book of life. You can know that. Yeah. Right. Why don't we conclude there? Anything else you want to say? Uh, just one thing real quick. Um, yeah. I think this is so important. And we, we talked about this, you and I talked about it earlier before we started, just the fact that if you confess Christ's name, um, now uh, he is going to confess your name before the father. And that's exactly what he says here at the end. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Um, you may not have much of a name right now, but boy, whenever you get before the father, you want your name to be spoken by Christ. And so I, I think continue to persevere in making much of God and not much of yourself and you'll receive the reward. So let's all strive for that. Well, my kids are getting a little testy. Uh, so I'm going to pray. Uh, and uh, hey, if you have a question, let us know. Um, we want to talk uh, and try to answer your question. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had to have another conversation. We pray that it's been uh, honoring to your name. Lord, uh, convict us when our goals are for our own glory. And Lord, humble us, we pray. Uh, Lord, we know that your word consistently says that those who seek to exalt themselves will be humbled and those that humble themselves will be exalted. Lord, help us to be, uh, and, be and remain among those that are humble before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us this week. And uh, we just encourage you to make much of the name of Jesus. We'll talk to you next week.